Hello everyone, welcome back to yet another episode of Madlux VFX Podcast. And today is an awesome day because I'm interviewing Hewart Kebalfin. Hewart is the Global Rotopaint Supervisor at Digital Domain. We will hear more about his work and career in this episode. So let's start. Hey Hewart, welcome to the podcast. Hi Manoj. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you very much. How are you doing? <laughs> Yeah, I'm great too. And I'm really excited to do this podcast with you. My first question is like uh, to the audience here, can you give us a casual intro about yourself? Sure. Uh, as you mentioned, I my current title is a Global Rotopaint Supervisor for Digital Domain. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been in the industry about 16 years. Uh, I started off as an artist uh, mm-hmm. a, lo- a long time ago. <laughs> um, and um, I've been lucky enough to uh, get a lot of work over those years and mm-hmm. gain, gain a lot of experience, worked at different facilities. Uh, I worked at uh, ILM, I worked at Framestore mm-hmm. um, and uh, Method and a bunch of smaller boutique shops around LA. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm currently in LA now mm-hmm. and um, I, I feel like uh, I, I have a little bit of information to offer you today and I hope I can uh, do a good job. So, uh, you know, uh, Rotopaint is an important skill in the VFX industry and I too work as a Rotopaint artist. So, um, but I wonder many don't know much about Rotopaint. Yeah. So can you uh, tell like, uh, what is this job role like uh, Rotopaint? Great. Uh, yes, you are correct. A lot of people don't know much about Rotopaint outside of the VFX industry. And I would argue that there are still a lot of people within the industry who don't know yeah. a lot about Rotopaint. Got it. <laughs> um, uh, so Roto, basically, it, if you were to define it in a simple way, is uh, the creating of mats uh, for a particular image. Um, a mat is some. It's more like a, in a specific area of the image. So. Zoom is an excellent example of, of, of a mat. Um, you can see here, uh, even Line though I am yeah. talking to you from my bedroom, uh, a mat is being creative live um, to, uh, to, to put me on a different background. So that's one of the purposes of creating a mat is to mm-hmm. uh, extract a character and put them on a different background. Now, there are three other purposes for Roto, uh, and I won't deep dive into those unless you want me to get into that. Um, but, uh, this is the basic definition of Roto is there's an artist who manually has to draw this edge, right. To do some kind of visual, visual effects purpose. Mm-hmm. So c- can you give a rough intro about what is paint role? Yes. So, uh, paint, is it also a, a very important yet invisible skill and role in the visual effects industry? Mm-hmm. So. One good example of that is uh, you can see here, there's a character <laughs> sitting in the back, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, if this were a movie and this was like a crew, a crew guy, right? The guy is just kind of just chilling back there. It's like, hey, <laughs> this guy's not supposed to be in the shot, right? Yeah. And it looks like it looks like there's also another dude back here, like with a black backpack, right? Yeah. <laughs> So uh, it is our job to what's called remove, well, or you can you can paint this character out. Many people use the term paint to paint mm-hmm. that character out. Mm-hmm. Um, 
there are other techniques that are not necessarily paint, but they also will remove this character or these characters. Mm -hmm. And there are other things that can be removed, uh, like markers, for example, if uh, this was a green screen and you wanted to uh, use tracking markers on the green screen to mm -hmm. get the camera track, you we would need to remove those markers in order for the tracking, well, for the compositors to be able to key uh, and remove that blue screen. Got it. So it, it ranges from anything from as simple as a marker removal all the way up to full on character removal. And, you know, this it gets a lot more difficult as you go from simple markers all the way to, you know, full characters. Yeah. Thanks to Zoom, like we have some live demonstration here because of Zoom. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That's why I'm using this background because I <laughs> I thought it'd be a great visual. <laughs> got it, got it. It was helpful. I'm curious about how this concept evolved and how we evolved to the softwares like Silhouette and Mocha Pro for autoscoping as well as the paint. So I will appreciate it uh, if you could share some something uh, about the history of how Roto Paint evolved throughout these years. Sure. So uh, let me caveat that I'm not a visual effects historian. <laughs> <laughs> I don't quite know. I don't quite know where all the turning points happened. Um, yeah. But I do have some general knowledge. So uh, from what I've read, back in 1915, a man named Max Fleischer had uh, mm. created the concept of rotoscoping. Uh, Max basically uh, used this technique of drawing on a piece of glass um, and over multiple frames to recreate um like um it's more like a realistic looking animation mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so um before that there was disney and they had you know everybody knew about animation um like you can see mickey mouse and they yeah. have uh, the cartoons have this very kind of uh stic like staccato kind of movement right it's like mm -hmm. not very smooth right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but in real life they have more smoother movement and um Max's uh, technology basically was used to recreate uh, uh, live action footage and make it look like um, animation. Just tracing, um, yeah. Just by tracing things, yeah. right? So um, again, I don't know all the details of that, but that's the general gist that I got from the history that I've read, mm -hmm. and um, that led to movies like Ralph Bakshi's Lord of the Rings. I don't know if you've seen that animation, Ralph Bakshi, very mm -hmm. famous uh, animator. Mm -hmm. uh, he did a movie called Lord of the Rings before mm -hmm. Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings a long okay. time ago. Okay. And there's a scene that I saw in that movie that like blew my mind. It was like um, like the the ring rates, right? The the bad guys, Some one of the bad guys in the movie were, were uh, chasing the hobbits. And uh, it was like, it looked like people on like hooded characters on horseback mm -hmm. and it looked very uh realistic like oh. uh it didn't look like the rest of the animation it almost felt like uh it was a different technology or a different feel mm -hmm. so that's a really good movie to watch to see like how animation evolved from the max fleischer period into uh into animation mm -hmm. and then at cert at a certain point uh, and I did a post on this on um, on my Instagram, where uh, at a certain point, 
uh, rotoscoping ended up in VFX. <laughs> um, and the first known instance that I saw of uh, rotoscoping that was the most obvious was the Star Wars lightsabers. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So when George Lucas was uh, shooting uh, the lightsaber fight scenes, they were using um, these like glow sticks, like their electric uh, plastic sticks that had mm -hmm. uh, some kind of lighting inside of them. So they would, you know, they would fight using these sticks. And um, one reason why they wanted the sticks there was because uh, the actors did not know, um, it didn't feel realistic when the, the contact was being made, right? So they needed physical sticks to actually hit each other so that the actors could feel and the, the visual, the audience could feel the impact of, of things clashing together. Now, as you know, they Star Wars is a glow. You know, the lightsabers are glowing, <laughs> um, and uh, they have a very intense uh, lighting inside the, the the lightsaber. So the light that was being produced wasn't bright enough, mm -hmm. and they they didn't have colors, right? So each lightsaber has like a different color um, mm -hmm. based on um, the the person wielding it, or like I yeah. think some kind of gem. Mm -hmm. that they used for the lightsaber anyway everybody has a, a different color and mm -hmm. um and so they needed one to make the the lighting more intense and two they needed to color the the lightsaber itself and so uh at some point somebody came up with this idea like hey we can rotoscope the lightsaber stick and mm -hmm. then later on in compositing they can make the that matte glow brighter and with a different color. So that was another instance of where I saw in history where rotoscoping became uh, uh, it start well it started transitioning into the, the VFX world, right? Yeah. Cool. And uh, now with uh, uh, other things where, like in visual effects, there's something called set extension. Mm -hmm. So maybe you can see like they're on the floor, there's like a set, but then behind it, there's a, a blue screen, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. um, sometimes those blue screens are not keyable. So that's where um, you would see stuff uh, become uh, rotoed because yeah. they needed to separate the foreground from the background. Yeah. Um, again, I'm diverting a little bit with to like the purposes of roto, but um, as you watch more visual effects, right? You, the reason I think the reason why I brought that up is what as you saw more movies like Jurassic Park, right? Mm -hmm. You would need to have the dinosaurs behind the character, the live action characters, and yes. if they weren't shot on a blue screen, the dinosaur would be in front of the character, right? So instead of behind, mm -hmm. if my hand if my hand were like a dinosaur, right? It, yes, you know. If they put the dinosaur and it's supposed to bite my neck or something, <laughs> it has to be behind me. But it's yeah. if there's no mat, you need that. Great. Um, and then obviously it, it just kept evolving. Roto just kept like more as as VFX got more and more complicated, and mm -hmm. as directors and visual effects supervisors wanted more integration with mm -hmm. the CG and the live action, mm -hmm. rotoscope became even more important. Yeah. Um, and I would argue that in the advent of faster production schedules, um, mm -hmm. where people aren't um, shooting uh, proper blue screens, mm -hmm. um, 
the the more dirty or the more cluttered that blue screen is, the more roto you're gonna need for that shot. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. So that anyway, uh, I, I that's what I'm noticing from a historical point of view as my career progresses from you know 15 years ago to today. Uh, I've noticed that uh, blue screens are becoming less and less clean. Um, yeah. There's less and less time being uh, uh, spent on the set to uh, create the purest possible blue screen. Mm -hmm. And certain shots, uh, certain shots are just really ambitious. Um, like for Flags of Our Fathers, mm -hmm. um, one of my first, one of the first uh, visual effects projects that we had. Mm -hmm. um, uh, they were shooting like really, really wide. Uh, landscape shots and there was like whole beaches right like with hundreds of characters mm. and um, they could put a blue screen in a section right but there's there's no blue screen that there's not enough blue screen material to cover like <laughs> three miles of, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. of uh, landscape right so you have to roto uh, anything that doesn't fall on that yeah that will be a tough job <laughs> oh yeah like they're just there wouldn't just it would just be logistically impossible to do that so i'm wondering like uh, at which point pain started uh, getting evolved or uh, as a job role that's a question i'm less qualified to answer i believe uh i when i first started um i didn't know much about paint and there's people like who've been in the business even longer than i have and they started in paint and they still do paint so uh i would probably ask one of those people um you know what is the history of paint yeah um but again i could all like i could talk about my career over the last 15 years mm -hmm. is when we first started off things were kind of simple you were able to kind of just paint markers um and uh, uh wires right um mm -hmm. but as as my career progressed i saw paint getting much more uh complex uh much more complex right so it felt like the things that the compo the compositors were doing for mm -hmm. cleanup mm -hmm. were being pushed down into the paint roll yeah. so for example it wasn't simple marker or wire removals anymore it was like um like uh for example let's say um i have this phone right i'm talking into this phone mm -hmm. and um the director says i don't like the size of that phone it's too big <laughs> yeah so i was like i want i want there to be like a mini phone like something that looks like the size of a pencil right oh, okay. <laughs> i want there to just be a mini phone like this so you go from a phone this size to a phone this size uh -huh. and it's like well what am i gonna do for all that content that was is missing right like you're gonna have to reconstruct my face yes yes right like if you don't have a clean plate for this, like, how am I going to reconstruct that face? And what if I'm talking, right? Ew. So if <laughs> if I'm talking, that you also re have to reanimate my mouth movement. So um, that's a very extreme case, uh, yeah. but it does happen. Yeah. So uh, this is something that the paint team, like you know, 20 years ago, never had to deal with, um, <laughs> but as as um i feel like as schedules are getting more demanding as budgets getting less and less mm -hmm. um i feel like the the economics has kind of pushed those really high skilled high complexity tasks to mm -hmm. the paint team yeah and now the paint team has to 
the paint team has to elevate their skills, right? Mm-hmm. To to kind of meet the challenge. And that's where I'm kind of at right now. Is I'm I'm trying to uh, always be mindful of the demands that are coming to our uh, to my team, and I'm trying to protect them because there's there's a deficit between the request and mm-hmm. the skill sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. Like you might not have us an artist who can do like a full mouth animation, you know, or for a full face reconstruction, right? Yeah, yeah. And oh. maybe maybe it's my job to say no to that particular task. Maybe we need to just say, let's roto, let's just make this a full CG face, right? Yeah, yeah, much easier. And that's where we, yeah, a, a full CG face may be more easier. Or you know, like maybe I can we can pr- keep the keep the eyes, right? Mm-hmm. If I'm if the shot looks like this, maybe we can keep the eyes and just do the lower mouth, right? Mm. Great. So. That's that's a lot of that's a lot of my discussions at work is you know like when they ask for a request like that mm-hmm. we have to gauge like what's the what's the most effective the cost efficient um, and time efficient solution to that you know maybe it's not a paint maybe it's not a paint mm-hmm. task maybe mm-hmm. it's a CG task mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. let's say you you sh- you decide to do this paint. Like a hundred percent. Like, say there's a hundred shots, right? Where you have to remove this this phone. Mm-hmm. I would agree with you that a, a full CG might be more cost effective. Yeah. Uh, over those, and the quality level would probably be more convincing. Different. Um, yeah. So oftentimes, like, uh, uh, and like on um, WandaVision, mm-hmm. we worked on. Uh, uh vision right and vision is face is like much of it is cg mm-hmm. um but what we did was we wrote the eyes the nose and the mouth right mm-hmm. so yeah. those eyes the nose and the mouth uh those things if they come from the plate they're the most realistic looking Correct. and if you put C- if you put cg around it uh as long as you have the life the the real life elements yeah uh, it will look more convincing than full CG eyes, full CG nose, full CG mouth. Because uh, CG has yet to, and it's it's changing, but CG is still like still looks a little not as lifelike as real life, right? Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> um, now with with our developments in machine learning and animation and uh, at you know machine learning animation, you're seeing more realistic uh, mm-hmm. CG like Thanos. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're very proud of uh, our work on Thanos, um, um, but uh, CG is not always the the best solution in every case. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's that's where you know Roto and two D solutions are important. Got it. I already mentioned the name of some softwares, and there are many such softwares in the industry. Uh, but I would like to know which is your favorite preference for Roto and Paint. <laughs> okay, that's a very controversial question. Of course, yes. <laughs> uh, I've learned that uh, like that question has like uh, will s- spark a lot of uh, discussion and argument <laughs> and things like that. Yeah. Um, and I feel that no, none of the arguments are wrong. Like mm-hmm. I think everyone has a very valid case for every software. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to try to answer this question in layers, right? So 
<laughs> the first layer we the first layer we need to talk about are what are the options right for roto and paint mm -hmm. so if you if you look at the the main ones there's um silhouette which is the market leader right for roto and paint yeah there's nuke boundary nuke mm -hmm. um there is uh, adobe after effects mm -hmm. and there's flame mm -hmm. yeah so there, I'm sure there's many smaller out, out options out there. I'm not going to mention them just yet, but those are the main ones. Would you mm -hmm. agree? Yes, of course. And I would add Mocha Pro, like some studios uses Mocha Pro also for rotoscoping. Yes. Yeah. So I'm going to keep Mocha out of it because this is kind of separate. Like what I'm going to try to do is focus on the industry leaders, right? So sure. the ones that the the marketplace has adopted the, the most, right? Sure, sure. So, um, the the short answer to this question is how do you define best mm -hmm. is the artist is it the artist defining the term best software or is it the studio determining the best software mm -hmm. because what i would argue is that the choice of the artist may not be compatible with the choice of the studio of course yeah so say, say you're a, a a flame artist right and you give roto uh like oh and here's the other thing too mm -hmm. um so the big question here is are you going to use the splines are you going to use the rendered mats or are you going to need both yeah so that question right there should determine like uh what is the primary software right because mm -hmm. uh my my feeling my philosophy is mm -hmm. you should use the software that is best for the consumer mm -hmm. and primarily in our world the roto artist consumer is the compositor yes right where yes. roto doesn't operate by themselves right they mm -hmm. don't just mm -hmm. they don't just get a plate and just say hey roto whatever you want <laughs> yeah. that's never the case right <laughs> like in this case right if it was me and you don't tell me what to roto manage i'd be like rotoing the tree i'd be rotoing that guy i'd be rotoing <laughs> yeah. all the leaves i'd be <laughs> rotoing the, the ground i'd be rotoing the water i'd be rotoing this foreground leaf i'd be rotoing this foreground leaf i'd roto this branch it's like it's endless right so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's, this is why teamwork is very important, right? So you need like to talk with a compositor and ask, what do you need roto, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so after you establish that relationship with the consumer, you need to ask that compositor, what is the preferred software that they need? Because are you going to use the splines? Does the compositor use the spline, right? Mm -hmm. So if he's going to use the spline and he just wants the spline, then and he's working in after effects mm -hmm. i'm not going to give him a nuke spline <laughs> obviously yeah. does, does that make sense yeah if and vice versa if he's working in nuke i'm not going to give him an after effects spline. <laughs> got it so you have in in my in my world right as a supervisor i don't i the the artist isn't what i care about it's the consumer like um i should well I'm not, i shouldn't say that i care about the artists and their mm -hmm. preferences mm -hmm. but i have to favor the i have to favor the compositors uh uh request requirements mm -hmm. yeah does that make sense yes 
Of course. So the first question that needs to be answered before you can answer what's the best question is what does the consumer need? Does do they need splines? Mm-hmm. Do they need mats or do they need both splines and mats? Yeah. To me, I think Boris Silhouette Effects is the best from an artist point of view. Yes. It's the best roto s- s- software because yeah. it has very specialized tools for mm-hmm. roto. Yeah. Now, from a supervisor point of view, um I do not like uh to deliver Boris uh silhouette splines by themselves. Like they you can't just export it to the comper and expect them to know what to do with it. Right? <laughs> yes, yeah. So uh in our studio we've created what's called a technical specification and mm-hmm. it's basically like we want the splines, we want the renders and we want uh so we want the splines and we want the renders, right? And we mm-hmm. want it all in nuke. Mm-hmm. Got it. So we know we know that so this is where we have to kind of give and take, right? So we know that the market a lot of the market knows silhouette and mm-hmm. the the skill set of our people in in across the world are very silhouette based. Mm-hmm. However, the compositors don't want a silhouette s- script, right? Mm-hmm. You can't give them a silhouette script. So you have mm-hmm. to export it out. Yeah. And in addition to that, we want the scripts to be published into our pipeline. So we have a template that the all the artists no matter where they use silhouette or nuke, mm-hmm. they have to import that into the template and then render it all out in the nuke template. And it's mm-hmm. very specific to our studio. So um I can't really get into the proprietary nature of that. No but um it goes back to what I was talking about is the studio should dictate what is the format that mm-hmm. they want um uh the roto in our case is splines and mats mm-hmm. and those splines and those mats have to be nuke splines and nuke uh renders nuke mats mm-hmm. 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 got it um so again it's a very tricky question that you're asking it because yeah. for the artist i i totally support uh using silhouette because it's it's an amazing program and it does so many things that nuke does not yeah. but it's that's good for the artist but that's not good for the compositor right yeah of course um, <laughs> now if the compositor is okay with just rendered mats right like oh you can you can make it in anything you could make it in adobe uh photoshop <laughs> right <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because there's no there's no splines involved yeah. uh, but but from what i learned that compositors sometimes like to tweak the splines mm, right yeah, they want they want you they like maybe on one frame they'll say oh this this edge is just a little bit too like one pixel too far right so let mm-hmm. me just push that back in and then re-render it right mm-hmm. or i'll just add live in my nuke script mm-hmm. um if you don't provide that spline in the in a way that's familiar to the compositor uh they're going to get frustrated <laughs> yes right would you agree <laughs> yes Of course. So, yeah. like imagine if I gave a new compositor an After Effects script, right? They're yeah. going to be like, what "Is this? I I can't work with it," right? <laughs> yes. So, um I guess the short answer then is if you're a Roto artist, you should learn all the software. You yeah. should learn all four, right? Mm-hmm. But if you don't have time to learn all four, then at least learn two. Learn Silhouette <laughs> and learn Nuke. Yeah. That's the best answer. That's yeah, to me that that covers 
covers an artist's um, uh, skill set for most mm -hmm. most of the, the 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 jobs in in VFX, right? Yeah. Yeah. Now there's uh, one more question. There's one more answer that I wanted to add. Yeah, please. Silhouette is again amazing program, but it's very much geared to roto paint, right? So if you want to be a compositor, you are not getting the exposure you need or the experience you need to work in Nuke, which mm -hmm. is the industry industry leading software. Right? So for many roto paint artists who want who aspire to become compositors, you should be learning Nuke, like and try to do everything you can in Nuke because. The more you understand how the software works, you understand how the mindset of a compositor works, mm -hmm. and you understand the broader discipline of compositing. You're not just going to be focused on roto paint. You'll you'll have roto paint as your foundation, mm -hmm. and then as you become growing as a compositor, you will your mind will start to make connections. Right? Yeah. Um, oh, this is why I was doing all that roto. This is why I was doing all that paint. Right? Because now it starts to expand and you doing roto and paint in nuke allows people to composite uh much yeah. easier right you make that transition easier if you're yeah. only doing silhouette and mm -hmm. you're just that's you know you're doing silhouette 24 hours a day mm -hmm. when you try to make that transition to a compositor you're gonna it's gonna be hard because yes. you don't know that software the the you know it's node based well silhouette it's node based now too but yeah um different uh, yeah Quite different. There's different nodes, different operations, mm -hmm. right? In in uh, new that are yeah. different than in silhouette. And then the other thing is, um, and I, I'm sorry, my answer is so long, but I have a lot to say. No about problem, this. no problem. I would love to hear. Yeah. <laughs> um, the other thing is, Nuke also has a 3D camera system, a 3D projection system, right? Yeah. And yeah. there are shots, even even roto shots, where I need the 3D camera. Mm -hmm. to track this to track the shape in 3d because it's not tracking in 2d no matter what you use no matter if you use 2d mm -hmm. uh you use uh silhouettes planar tracker mm -hmm. mocha mm -hmm. like you can never actually mimic the 3d movement of an object in 3d <laughs> right yeah, yeah. you need a 3D tracking system a 3d yeah. camera system and so uh, silhouette does not have that feature mm -hmm. at least that not that i know of right no <laughs> maybe yeah. they're working on it but i but they don't Probably. have that feature so. <laughs> yeah uh so silhouette uh, i mean is missing that that tool set to do 3d mm -hmm. and this becomes even more important when you're doing paint mm -hmm. like for example like say say you're you're going to remove this bar right here right mm -hmm. and say the camera does is moving is like moving um like this mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. so th that's a 3d camera move right because you're moving yeah. in z space yeah so the parallax of the floor is going to be different mm -hmm. if you're going to track it in 2d versus in 3d of course yeah and um i didn't learn this until i saw frank ruder frank ruder is a a guy, he's a very smart visual effects artist, and he knows the artistry as well as the uh, technical mm -hmm. side. Mm -hmm. He has this YouTube video that shows like how to remove a a a, a dolly rig, like a, mm -hmm. a camera track, right? It's mm -hmm. on the floor, mm -hmm. and he it's the exact same move. It's like moving like this, right? Moving towards like the 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 the, the scene, the green screen and shot, right? It's, it's 
Yeah, I think it's a green screen shot, but it's yeah. mostly shot in a set. Yeah, I don't um, know. Like, uh, you probably saw that. So, yeah. the way he did it in 3D was brilliant because he did like an unwrap technique, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, and then reprojected it. And the the quality of the the quality and speed yeah. of that technique in 3D was much like I would say a fraction mm -hmm. of the speed and a fraction of the quality if I were to do that in 2D. Of course, yeah. So this is why I'm like Roto Paint, even though it's considered like a very like low level discipline, right? Mm -hmm. I I think in in today's world, like it's become its own, like it deserves its own respect. Mm -hmm. as its own like it's its own discipline in vfx and because we're using techniques like that like 3d projection that 10 years ago we never had to do right mm -hmm. 15 mm -hmm. years ago we never had to do that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. got it i thought the answer will be simple but there are a lot of insights and there are a lot of perspective which we should look into yes. while choosing a software yeah, so the, the 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 shortest answer is learn everything, right? <laughs> and master yeah. everything. Yeah. <laughs> but if you don't have the time, then pick I, I think nuke and, and silhouette are, are the one. best bets. And for me, at you know, being in my studio, uh if you can learn nuke, you you're pretty much eighty percent of the way there. Uh silhouette will will get you the other, you know, twenty percent. Mm -hmm. Uh, everyone has their own story of for their successful career. Um, through this podcast series, I'm getting to know many such motivational stories. Uh, can you share some inspirational moments in your career, like when you started and how were early days in your career and also how you traveled throughout these years? All right. Uh, <laughs> Long story. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. So my first job um, that I ever got was doing a roto job for my friend's um short film so mm -hmm. i had a friend who worked at ilm mm -hmm. and he was transitioning out of um, visual effects and trying to become a director mm -hmm. so he was shooting some short films and he said um hey you know you want to learn visual effects because i was in graphic design at the time and he goes okay. like your your skills with adobe all the adobe products can translate to visual effects um and he goes well i'm not gonna pay you <laughs> but you can use all my footage to put on your demo reel okay and so that's what i did i spent like three months doing roto for him on his short film mm -hmm. uh shout out to marcus stokes uh one of my good friends and he's now a director um wow. in tv and uh movies mm -hmm. and um Anyway, he gave me my first break and I, even though I didn't get paid, I was enjoying myself. I enjoyed what I did. Um, and I spent a lot of sleepless nights doing the, this roto for him as my, I submitted that footage as my demo reel with all the breakdowns. Mm -hmm. And, and, and when I look at Batic now, I was like, oh man, that, that roto was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Woo, that, that would not fly. Um, but I think somebody, you know, saw it. And a year later, I had to like wait a year because I think I submitted it to one SIGGRAPH and I didn't get a job interview until a year later. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I basically got an interview and they even, they didn't hire me on the spot. They had to test me still because they wanted to see if I could uh, do uh, Roto and Nuke. 
Mm -hmm. And so they tested me and I was able to do it. Um, and uh, they hired me um, mm -hmm. or they gave me an offer. Now, I was working at another job at the time. I was working for Warner Brothers and mm -hmm. um, I uh, in a very small uh, data management role. Mm -hmm. And um, they were going to offer me a full-time job. So I had basically two job offers at the same time. Okay. <laughs> so I had this one job, which is like, a, they're going to give me a full-time job with benefits and everything like that. And then they had, and then on this side, uh, they had a visual effects studio who was going to offer me a, a Roto job that was only going to last for three months mm -hmm. and no benefits, right? And so... You had this choice to make, right? Between like this full-time job with all these benefits and this kind of short-term job with no benefits. And mm -hmm. to make things worse, I had a baby on the way. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I was really stressed out. And yeah. um, so all of these things were really stressful decisions to make. And I ultimately had to say, well, what choice would give me the most um, progress over, mm -hmm. over a long term of time, right? And Thankfully, my wife was very supportive of, you know, the process. She said, I trust your instincts. Mm -hmm. And so I chose the three month job, right? Like there was no, there's no guarantee of even work after the three months. <laughs> yeah. And, and so I know I, you know, I, I took that three month job and now it's like 15 years later. <laughs> so after I made the leap though, you know, I still had to prove myself on the job. So, um, Thankfully, I had a lot of mentors. Mm -hmm. So uh, I that's a piece of record. Uh, that's a piece of uh, advice I would give to many of your artists is number one, find a mentor who's really supportive of you. Um, there are a lot of people in Roto Paint who are very kind and uh, gracious with their knowledge, mm -hmm. and I'm very lucky to have a lot of people in my life who really helped me get to where I am, right? I, I didn't do it, do it by myself. I had a lot of people uh, like fellow artists um, mm -hmm. and leads too, who like, and supervisors who um, whenever I got stuck, they would um, help me get through it with uh, different techniques or mindsets, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing that has, I think has helped me like through make my transition from being a junior artist all the way to where I am now is be constantly curious, mm -hmm. you know, um, like I think you mentioned in one of your posts with or Mona, your comments with me is like, you should, you should recognize that there are developments in software and technology happening yeah. every day, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so if you're an artist who uh, pays attention and is curious as to what are those new techniques? What are those new technologies? Mm -hmm. How can I uh, add that to my skill set? Right. Mm -hmm. um, I was uh, not only lucky enough to have a men mentors who supported me, but um, I I also had uh, parents who were very curious. They they wanted me to uh, always ask questions and mm -hmm. and um, uh, don't just think you know the answer. Right. Yeah. Be, be humble. And be humble and like always try to add more to your your skills by learning from people who are supportive of you and even people who aren't supportive of you they they you know people who have a difference of opinion mm -hmm. uh maybe there's opinions and about techniques that you don't necessarily agree with yeah. um there's there's little bits of information that they're 
offering you. It's just maybe the way that they're communicating isn't uh, isn't uh, appealing to you. So mm-hmm. um, those qualities that I that I those two things that I had at the beginning of my career, I still use today. I still ask questions. Um, I still want to learn more, and mm-hmm. I still surround myself with people that are uh, supportive of our process. Right. Got it. Um, so that's how I navigated my career. And those are philosophies that I have that still, um, benefit me today. Yeah. It's like, uh, have you heard about a uh, robot and uh, runway ML? Um, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, runway is a website and robot is a plugin and all those automotive rotor tools. And I saw some technical papers also, uh, in SIGGRAPH for automation in paint. So according to you, how is going to be the future for Rotopaint? Uh, you know, after all these uh, AI and machine learning developments in the visual effects industry. Excellent question. I don't know as much about Runway or um, Rotobot and um, as I should. There's, uh, I, I've dealt, I've used them both um, mm-hmm. in my, on my own personal time. Um, mm-hmm. The the results that I've been getting have not been great. Um, and so when the initial tests are not successful, it kind of uh, makes you less incentive. You have less uh, excitement to continue studying it, right? It's like, well, this this isn't giving me what I want, right? So um, <laughs> I kind of gave up. Um, now, Nuke has a, a version of this machine learning that um, is in Nuclear Team called Copycat. And we are extensively using it uh, because Nuke is available at the studio. So we have more uh, opportunity and mm-hmm. more, the tool is more uh, available mm-hmm. to us than Runway or um, Rotobot. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've been, not just myself, but a bunch of really smart compositors who are interested in machine learning have also been using this tool called Copycat. And again, you're getting pretty good results. Um, my feeling right now is it's going, it is the future, right? Machine learning is the future. We need to be more exposed to it, no matter how much you might be resistant to this idea. Um, and no matter how much, even I'm, I'm resistant to the idea because um, when you draw a spline, that spline is there. Yeah. It's always going to be there through the entire frame range with um machine learning like you can see like for example here like if you look at my if you look at my headphone right like i'm pointing at it now like sometimes yeah. it's sometimes the roto's there sometimes it's not right <laughs> like as i move it like if this was a roto this would not go away this would not disappear right yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so that's the problem with machine learning is that um it's called what i what i call temporal consistency Mm-hmm. I would love to see temporal consistency. So when you see it, when you see the map for it, like if if on one frame, the machine detects the edge, mm-hmm. why can't it stay on the whole time, right? Yeah. It's like the machine recognizes this as an edge, right? So why can't it, why does it go in and out? <laughs> so um, now that's the, the challenge of machine learning right now, but what, as I'm starting to see the new tests that are being mm-hmm. done recently, mm-hmm. I see like it's getting better. Like machine learning is starting to recognize these edges, right? And maintaining the temporal consistency. 
Um, so I have a feeling that right now it's not great, but in the in a year, maybe two years, it's going to be really good. Mm -hmm. So no matter what, we should learn these techniques uh, from all levels, right? Like mm -hmm. from visual effects supervisor down to roto artists, right? We should all like, you know, even PAs, right? <laughs> like anybody in visual effects should learn about machine learning because uh, it's not just roto. This machine learning is going to affect every part of visual effects. Yeah. Now, I don't know. I don't know what kind of impact it's going to have, what degree. But I have a feeling it's going to impact us all. So we should all learn about this. Yeah. Um, now, now the second part of that is machine learning still doesn't do splines, right? <laughs> yeah. Machine learning only does the map. And again, if you're a studio that wants the maps and the splines, machine learning can get you the mat, but it will not get you the spline. Mm. Yes. So what are we going to do with that? Like, are we going to just ignore splines from now on? Like, you're just going to go 100% machine learning and not have any splines whatsoever. I think compositors would would be angry, right? They, they'd say, <laughs> no, we still need our splines, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then for paint, uh, you need, um, what do you call it? It's also being used, for paint, it, it's a little less, it's more forgiving, right? Like, if you want to use machine learning for markers, for example, mm -hmm. um, you could really get, I think that'd be a great example of if you want markers done, uh, you do use machine learning on six or seven frames mm -hmm. and then and then have machine learning just interpolate um, all the rest, right? And then if all the, all the shots are the same angle, mm -hmm. you could uh, literally just plug in the plate and do like, a hundred plates at a time, theoretically, right? Yeah, that's the theory. Um, I don't know if there will be a future when we actually uh, are able to do paint on a large scale like that. I think machine learning is gonna uh, be impactful for every industry. Uh, if we want to survive in the industry, or if you want to survive in this job, we need to stay updated. Probably everyone needs to learn programming in the future. <laughs> I would, I'm not going to argue with that. I think programming is, it almost feels like um, learning English, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, if you want to operate in society, pe you know, people should have a basic knowledge of English, right? Yeah, yes. You know, yeah, I, I assume, you know, you learned in, in English, uh, you know, in school, right? And mm -hmm. are you, were you from India? Yeah, I'm from India. Yeah, so you you learn your native language as well as English, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, because that's uh, they're preparing you for being part of a global society, Community. right? Yeah. Um, and at this moment, English is the the universal global language, right? Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. I feel like programming may be also needed to be considered as like English, English right? Because computers are everywhere. Um, <laughs> yeah. Now we they're, have they're, human they're robots. In your pocket. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. What were you saying about robots? No, I was telling like, okay, now we have human robots as well. So we, if we need to speak with them, then probably we need to have the skill of programming in future. That's a great. Yeah, I think uh, it's an amazing. I mean, we're living in a very uh, like 
technology in like when I was younger, technology, the, the amount of technology that we had is not as much as it is today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's, you know, and uh, underneath all of that is programming, right? Um, you know, like it's relevant to the topic which we discussed now. So how you are able to stay focused or how you are able to stay updated um, in this ever-changing era of life we are living in. So I just want to know what all of the habits you follow for that. So I definitely am not updating as I should. <laughs> I feel like I definitely need to update more. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, uh, I have a lot of responsibilities at work because um, I'm in charge of uh, three different studios. Yeah. Um, and also like I'm also overseeing a lot of the vendors that are outside of our studio. Mm-hmm. So um, maintaining a level of consistency of quality and uh, performance across mm-hmm. all of that has been very challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of my, um, I guess to answer your question, the, the way I update my um, skills is number one is uh, I listen to uh, my my people right because they are also informing me of like new developments mm-hmm. so um, I pay attention and uh, so if my person if any of my artists say hey I learned this new technique and I'm like oh well show me right and if they if they're doing techniques that are cutting edge then I will definitely um, ask them to demo it for the larger group mm-hmm. um, so this is part of my role as a supervisor is that um, I'm very, I have the opportunity to hear new developments in mm-hmm. technology and in technique. So part of my job is not only to absorb and learn that myself, mm-hmm. but also to share that information with uh, the larger group, because not everyone's going to have the same exposure to mm-hmm. these new techniques and new technologies. Right. So um, I'm trying to always push my people to learn these new things and expose them to that. Yeah. Now it's up it's up to them to do their own study, obviously, because everybody like skill is personal, right? Mm-hmm, like if mm-hmm. you want to stay updated, that means you have to study yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, the other side of the story is when I learn something new, I have to practice it too. It's not enough to see a, a tutorial, right? Your your <laughs> muscles. Your muscles have to react. Yeah, like you have to react to be able to do it in uh, when you're getting given that task, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Uh, many artists, um, including myself, we get stuck uh, just practicing the techniques that we're comfortable with, right? Mm-hmm. And when sometimes we won't get, we won't practice a new technique unless mm-hmm. we're forced to learn a new technique. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like, um, for example, like 3D projection in Nuke, right? I, I never had to learn that. Um, but when I was given like these 3D camera shots, um, I was like, man, these 2D techniques are failing, right? And I learned very quickly that from other people like, oh, there's, you can project that, right? You can project that roto, you can project that paint. And I was like, what's that? You know, and so um, I... I had to pass like on the shots that we're giving. So I had to tell my lead, I couldn't do that shot. And um, they gave it to another artist, but afterwards I was mad. So I, after work, I learned how to, I practiced uh, doing the, like a a tutorial 
and I kept practicing it and practicing it until like I could do it without looking at the tutorial. Yeah. Right. So um, part of updating your skills is not only number one, you have to recognize your you need a new skill, mm -hmm. right? But two is you have to practice it to the point where you can do it from muscle memory. Yeah. So often, like, I don't know if you play, do you play music, Manush? No, 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 I am not. A, I mean, my passion is about video making and all these tutorials, you know. Okay. So I love, I love the ukulele, right? So um, I wanted to learn the ukulele. And what I did was I watched a lot of videos, right? So, but just because I can watch the video and can like do one chord does not mean I can make a song. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Of course, yeah. Like, so people who say that they study a video and say, oh, I can do that because I watched the video. That's not the case, right? You have to be able to like perform that task. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's not enough to watch the video and maybe do one chord. You got to be able to do the full song. Yeah. If you, <laughs> if you, if you want to do something like what we do. So a lot of artists, I think it's very easy to like say, oh, I saw that video. I'm, I, they, they say I'm familiar with that technique, right? But being familiar with the technique and actually doing the technique is two different, two different things. So yeah. I feel like people need to update their um, skills every day. And again, it goes back to being curious, like mm -hmm. what skills am I lacking is, is one question you should ask. Everyone should ask themselves, what am I lacking? Mm -hmm. What tasks? can I not do because I don't have the skills? And then once you identify those tasks, mm -hmm. then you, uh, you learn whatever you can. You study the videos. There's a lot of free videos out there. You provide a lot of really good content to mm -hmm. learn about uh, how to do these techniques. Steve Wright, um, yeah. one of my, my personal um, mentors, is, uh, has a lot of videos, free videos. Um, uh, Frank Reuter. Um, there's a lot of great uh, people who make really good content. So learn those techniques and then practice them so that when you actually do them, you're not slow, right? You're, or you're not like uh, making mistakes mm -hmm. that, you know, like there's a lot of people who learn by trial and error, but when the schedule is so tight, you don't have time for trial and error. You have to be able to work out all your techniques before you get the assignment so those are the ways that i practice my techniques um yeah. and again i have i could be more i should be practicing more i uh because i'm a supervisor i'm more doing a lot more supervisory stuff so i'm not mm -hmm. doing as much artist stuff yeah um but that's no excuse i should still push to to spend maybe like half an hour mm -hmm. an hour every day to expand my skill set yeah and I agree to the point, like uh, even I face this thing, uh, I have seen many tutorials and I'm constantly watching new, new tutorials, but uh, as I'm not practicing it or as I'm not feeding that uh, to my brain by practicing or by implementing that in my work, I'm just forgetting that technique or whatever it is. And But the only the thing which I remember is, is like I have seen a tutorial and again, I need to go back and check that tutorial for implementing that technique into my work. So this is a serious problem. And if we want to come out of this problem, we need to implement that in our work or we need to practice that technique.
in any shot so that we can feed that technique into our brain and any time we have when we are when we have need of that technique it will come out of the brain straight away without that video yep yep well again it's i i think like visual effects is like music right <laughs> when, when when you're a musician and you're on the stage nobody's going to nobody's going to pay attention to all your practice they just want to hear really good consistent music right <laughs> and they okay. the audience will know the audience will know when you make a mistake so so you know practice practice before like to me like working in the shot in an actual shot by a studio like on a job you're you're now it's like you're a musician and you're being paid to play in a concert <laughs> great yeah <laughs> let's suppose i am a fresher and i'm coming straight away from the institute uh, so after this podcast if i'm going to learn roto paint and uh, Uh, or if i'm choosing road open as a career uh, what are the advices you are going to give me so yeah for freshers who have no professional experience yet but they might have technical training from a an Institute. academic institution yes um i would recommend number one is number one have curiosity and humility right so mm-hmm. um um one of the things that i've seen that inhibit an artist's progress and a lot of freshers too is they think they there's some that really know a lot mm-hmm. <laughs> they think they oh i i did compositing in in my school so why do i need to learn roto right yeah <laughs> um so that attitude kind of blocks progress um so and this hap- that attitude also affects senior people too mm-hmm So this advice goes for not only freshers but senior people but the the advice is to always be curious, right? Yeah. Um no matter what skills you have, you can always learn what somebody else is doing um and and add to your skills. Mm-hmm. Um number 2 is um be consumer focused, right? So um especially in roto um mm-hmm. we have this task that is um we call the occlusion roto right so let's say um say you see this tree behind me mm-hmm. let's say this this tree does not exist let's say that uh visual effects supervisor wants to put a cg tree here mm-hmm. like maybe they want a, a giant cg tree here right Mm-hmm. Um or they want the tree like see how it's cut maybe want they want the tree to go all the way across right mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. they're going to put a CG tree to cover this whole path right here right okay, okay. so occlusion roto is means that you have to roto me right because I'm in front of the tree mm-hmm. so that's so um part of um part of learning about uh being uh what the let's see consumer focused is know what the compositor needs. So for example, if you're going to put a CG tree here, right? Mm-hmm. Uh you can roto me from here, like from here all the way across, right? Like you don't need to roto my shoulder because the CG tree is going to start right about here. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. So um If you start rotoing my shoulder, you know, that's fine. You can you can provide that, but you've kind of wasted time now <laughs> rotoing this section, right? Yeah. When you could focus, you can completely just focus on the screen right of my hand, mm-hmm. right? All this. 
Yeah. So um, that's something they don't teach you in school, right?、Mm-hmm. They don't teach you like, as a roto artist, you're part of this larger team. So if you know what the needs of the compositor are, or if you know where the shot, where the VFX supervisor is going, how how they're going to construct the shot. Then、mm-hmm. you understand what roto you need to, to um, to provide for the compositor, and you spend less time wasting, um, on things that aren't going to be used at all. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So imagine if my hand was doing this, right?、Mm-hmm. Like, w- imagine if I'm waving. Like, if the roto artist started rotoing my hand, this is a lot of roto, right? Yeah. And then in the end, you don't use it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Simply waste of time, yeah, yeah. So that that's part of it. It's like many roto artists; they get really focused on their job and they don't look at what's going on in the rest of the shot.、Mm-hmm. So that that is a very important skill to have as a roto and a paint artist.、Um, so one way to do that is when a, a lead or a production person gives you a task,、um, ask questions about the at task. Maybe ask them what. What is the visual effect of the shot?、Um, can I get more context?、Mm-hmm. That's a very good question to ask、um, anybody in visual effects. Is can I please get more context? So again, it all ties back to being curious. If you're a fresher, you're not going to know a lot, but that's okay because everybody knows you're a fresher, right? They don't. You can't hide that, right?、Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, So there's there's no shame in where you are in your career if you don't know a lot because you just came out of school, but <laughs> to me where where there sh- you should be ashamed is if you don't ask questions, right?、Of、if、course. you just make a lot of assumptions,、um, that that's a lot of waste of the leads time. That's a lot of waste for the productions time if you just start doing things because you think you know it, <laughs> and then you've wasted the time, and the bids get blown out of you know proportion.、Mm-hmm. So. Uh, always ask for more context. Try to understand from a deeper level what is why is the roto important to this shot, or why is the paint important to this shot. Got it.、Um, oh, and the last thing is like, and I again I alluded to this, but I'm going to say this very、uh, explicitly: is have a great attitude when you come to work.、Mm-hmm. You know, people do people like to work with people who are excited about work, who are.、Um, <laughs> Um, are supportive of each other. You know, they make they make the work life easy because、yeah. you know they're、um, they're bringing a really positive attitude. And I'm not saying that you know you should always be happy every day, right? That's that's not that's not humanly possible, right? Of course, yeah. Especially where there's a lot of there's a lot of problems in the world, right? There's you know a lot of you know there's a pandemic, there's economics, you know, anxiety,、yeah. there's all these things, but for When you come to work, realize that you're working with a team, and、um, be try to bring some light and joy to that team. Even if you're feeling down, just try to try to do the best you can to bring a little positive light, and hopefully that'll bring some positivity to yourself as well. Yeah,、uh, I have seen several polls and posts about leadership and、um, also about artistry. Uh, for a road of pain role in your LinkedIn and Instagram profiles as well, so、uh, I always feels very interesting to read and respond there, and I do that every time. So, according to you, what are the good qualities needed for a lead or supervisor or in a road of pain job role? 
Boom. <laughs> Interesting. You're hitting me with some good questions, Manoush. <laughs> the qualities I think are important for a lead are number one, we talked about earlier. It's just like with an artist. Have a good attitude, number one, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I call that being a good collaborator. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I kind of, because attitude and collaboration kind of go to, are connected, right? So mm-hmm. if you have a great attitude at work, people want to work with you, right? And once you've established that human connection of like, oh man, this is somebody, I, you know, this is a person I want to work hard for because he always makes me feel, or she, he or she makes me really feel good when I'm at work, right? He's, you know, uh, they're very generous with their time. They give me tutorials when I need them or, uh, and even if they don't have time, because leads can also be very busy, is that um, they're um, trying to encourage people to, to be their best selves, right? Even if they're just smiling and, you know, like uh, having small uh, human conversations and human connections with with their team, right? Mm-hmm. To me, that's a really important um, uh, quality to have. Um, mm-hmm. I am very lucky in my studio, like all the leads that I, uh, I supervise are amazing. They are some of the best uh, collaborators that I've worked with. Um, mm-hmm. They always bring a, a positive attitude to work. Um, um, a special shout out goes to my my fellow supervisor in India, Didi uh, Didi Hyderabad is uh, mm-hmm. Diraj Brahma. Mm-hmm. Um, he's also a guy I would recommend you you talk to. He's sure. he's an amazing supervisor and does um, like he he supervises a whole you know hundred plus mm-hmm. workforce there. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's always bringing a positive energy to 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 work, mm-hmm. and he's really technically smart. <laughs> so that's the other side of the story: is if you're a lead, um, try to be as technically smart as you possibly can. Um, and here's the other side of that: you're not. I don't expect every leader to be uh, like encyclopedias of knowledge <laughs> or. <laughs> Or like you might not know the answer. You might not know what's technically correct uh, for any given uh, shot. But at least listen to what listen to what are the options, right? So we talked about software, right? We before we even talked about what the best software was, we identified what the software was, right? We yeah. I- identified there's four softwares. Mm-hmm. Many people they just want to jump to jump to the choice right they just say oh just pick silhouette right that's the that's the one you should learn right and then they ignore the other three options right so always like identify what are the options before you make the choice right as a leader i don't i i care as much about the decisions that you make being a good decision maker but i also care that you took the time to explore the options right um you have to know what the choices are for any given question. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know there's a lot of pressure in our industry to like make decisions quickly. I want you, I want a decision right now. And sometimes maybe you can just say, hey, can I just take some time to, is- to explore what the options are, right? It, there's no shame in saying, can I get like 15 minutes, 20 minutes to just look at what are the options? Can I get some time to um, understand the context of the problem before? Mm-hmm. I give you an answer, right? Quite. To me, that's that's to me that's really good leadership is for people to take the time, take a breath, mm-hmm. and say, "Okay, I'm going to look at this problem. 
with a little more thought and then and then i'll make a decision instead of like always you know like if you know the answer and you're very confident with the answer right off the bat i'm okay with that as well but i want people to be uh to really understand like as a leader because you, you're in charge of a lot of people your decisions will affect the budget will affect the time will affect the schedule right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so i want leaders to when they make a decision it's a thoughtful decision not that just something that i prefer right it's like oh we're gonna do this because i said so right <laughs> yeah. that's not to me that's not a good leader I, what i want is a leader says i'm i'm gonna make a decision a because of these reasons and we can discuss that if you want but i feel like decision a has the best number of reasons um mm -hmm. to support us right yeah um so good attitude um being a good decision maker like somebody who um takes the time to be thoughtful of the decision and then the third part is uh are you making decisions based on what's good for you mm -hmm. or are you just deci making decisions what's good for the group because mm -hmm. there are many times when compositors will ask for stuff and or a supervisor will ask me of something like hey can you do this and i go okay what is it for and they say okay we need it for this and now they go okay well do you really need roto for that <laughs> is it maybe we could do a cg solution right like yeah um um because if you choose to do roto this is going to say be a a, a one month solution right we're going to need to roto this for like one month right um and then at the end it might not even be uh you know useful in mm -hmm. the end mm -hmm. um and so i'll i'll tell the supervisor who are whoever asked me the request i'll say okay this is the ramifications of your choice if you want this option th these are the things that we're, we're gonna need mm -hmm. and then here here are the things that might not work out like maybe the quality isn't going to be as it, what you expect right because it's going to be really hard or really time consuming and it's yeah. still not going to produce the, the result that you want and then maybe over here there's a better solution uh that will provide the best quality for maybe the same amount of time but maybe maybe it'll still take a month mm -hmm. um but it'll provide a better quality and instead of multiple versions like maybe option a you'll need like five versions. You might have to go around and around with a comp, right? Mm -hmm. uh, until you decide, oh yeah, that's good. Versus this solution, which will provide, maybe you only need to do two, two versions. That's it, yeah. So a lot of that comes with experience. A leader needs to kind of see, like if they choose this, this is, the, this is what's gonna happen. It's gonna take this long, right? Or if they choose this option, it's gonna take this long. Mm -hmm. So, there's a lot of and and each case is different case by case but um i like i like leaders and i like to choose leaders who not only consider one person's uh benefit but consider the team's benefit like everybody's yeah. overall but it's like they looked at the problem overall mm -hmm. that's great a lot of insights so thanks a lot Howard, for spending time with us in this podcast and i feel so good to talk with you here uh, I hope you follow my YouTube channel and content over there. The channel name is ob obviously it is Mad Looks VFX. <laughs> uh, I would like to know some suggestions or feedbacks from you uh, for improving my content in Mad Looks VFX.
Sure. Uh, well, my question for you is, what does mad looks mean? Like, why did you choose that word? Yeah, I mean, uh, my initial plan was to not do tutorials for visual effects. Uh, I was editing my videos. I mean, I have a serious passion of editing videos and uh, I, I didn't felt, okay, I'm going to uh, make this as a brand or anything like that. So I okay. thought I kept this name as a, a Mad Looks VFX presentation for my editing video. <laughs> so yeah, so talking about the title, I didn't kept this title intentionally. Even now, I don't know what is the meaning of that title. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think... Um... You've explained actually what my advice would be for Mad Looks is like, it sounds like you, you don't quite know what the focus of your content is and that's okay. You know, like that, that's the beauty of um, your own channel, right? You can kind of explore uh, different topics that are of interest to you. Mm -hmm. um, um, try to connect with a community um, that, um, you know, uh, even if it's a small community, even if it's like two or three people, right? Like if you have some passionate followers who like your content, then go with that, you know, and, and try to uh, build upon that audience. Mm -hmm. um, I personally like the topics that you provide. Um, and if you just think of me as an audience, just a fan, right? Mm -hmm. um, when I look at your channel, I really like the content, but I don't necessarily know the organization. Right. So, and YouTube is a little bit difficult because you can't really um, organize stuff, but maybe mm -hmm. you can create like a play playlist mm -hmm. in YouTube mm -hmm. that like uh, is just visual effects only. And then like have another playlist that's uh, productivity only. Mm -hmm. And then maybe you have passion projects and then just do that playlist. Mm -hmm. um, I think that would be helpful. Like I haven't gone into your, your site, your YouTube site too mm -hmm. in depth, but mm -hmm. again, I like the content. So I'm going to go watch your site because I want to learn the stuff that, you know, make sure that I'm up to date with the knowledge that you have. Mm -hmm. But I think making it easier to navigate is one of the things that um, I would recommend. And then, you know, your brand, right? It's like, uh, as much as you might not think it's a brand and it's just kind of like an experiment, it is kind of like who, it is kind of like a, a thesis, like a state, a mission statement. Like a brand is like, this is what I'm, this is what I, Manoj, am going to do here. I'm going yeah. to just focus on this area. So much like my uh, internet, inter Instagram channel, mm -hmm. um, I don't talk about anything else other than Roto right yeah and so if you go to that site it's you're not gonna find pictures of my dog you're not gonna find pictures of food that i ate <laughs> that day you know yeah um so i have a very specific content on that channel and it doesn't have a lot of followers and not a lot of subscribers but i'm okay with that because i feel like this is more of an expression of what i like you can tell you can tell by <laughs> from our interview that I have a lot of opinions, mm -hmm. a lot of strong personal opinions about my career and about this industry. Um, and I feel like at, I'm at a point in my career where I got to get it out. I need mm -hmm. to express myself. Mm -hmm. And so this uh, a bit better roto in Instagram is my way to just get that out. Right. And um, in the future, I'm going to do paint too. But 
I have so much to say about Roto that I'm not quite done <laughs> with getting all that out yet. So I'm yeah. going to just keep putting out content about Roto until like I get it all out. Mm -hmm. And then, and then when I start doing paint, I'm going to, I'm going to probably create a new channel called a bit better paint. Um, and, or a bit better prep. And I know that's a little bit, you know, paint is such a universal term. It could be like painting a house or, you know, confusing. like it's very confusing. So I might have to think about a different brand, but you can see like I'm already thinking about paint as it, cause it's, it deserves its own content, right? It mm -hmm. deserves its own channel, but I don't want to mix the two together because I feel like those are two separate topics. Yeah. So, um, and with the beauty of the internet, you know, you can, you can get free, you, you can always do free channels, right? Like you can create another channel if you want. That's maybe you like, uh, you know, watching birds, right? So <laughs> yeah. you, you should create a, you don't, don't put bird pictures in mad looks, right? Just <laughs> put it in, put it in another channel. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, I used to do such things. In my early time when I used to do uh, productivity kind of videos in YouTube. But once I found my niche, like uh, I'm going to do tutorials and uh, yeah, initially it was tutorials for uh, prep artists or roto artists or uh, basic compositing skills and all these things. Then I, I was keen on making tutorials on that. And eventually I started making podcast kind of videos or interview kind of inspirational sessions for my channel. Now I'm completely concentrated on one specific thing that is uh, basic 2D compositing, which includes basic compositing as well as Roto and Paint. Uh, I mean, I forgot to mention like uh, I have playlists for uh, Nuke, um, Silhouette, Mocha, specifically all these software differentiations. And uh, I have created that. So, I mean, I appreciate if you check that and give me feedbacks later on that. So, so one of the things I, I would like everybody to start thinking about is um, you are organizing a playlist based on software and mm -hmm. that's good. So keep that. But I also want you to think about what we do as a, as a discipline, right? So mm -hmm. if you do Roto, some of the techniques are universal, right? Like if you learn how to do Roto in Nuke, you should be able to do Roto in other software packages, right? So, um, I want you to also, uh, focus Skill on the based. discipline. Yeah. Like if you can have a playlist about the discipline of Roto, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. that's a great one. That would yeah. also be, that would also be my, cause I don't think there's anybody out there who's doing Roto specific, you know, like tutorial. No yeah. <laughs> there actually there's, there's a guy, what's, what's his name? Uh, there's a guy in India. He only does his videos in, in India, which are, which look really good, but because I don't know Indian. <laughs> Mm -hmm. or i don't know hindi i think he's speaking in hindi yeah i think okay. he's speaking in hindi okay um he has a gr he has a lot of great tutorials on roto mm -hmm. um and i wish he he localized his <laughs> i wish he translated or subtitled his um his videos in english yeah i, um, I guess it's pixel spark studios i guess yes pixel spark yes yeah yeah that that's an interesting channel yeah yeah, I like that guy. I think he has good content. But again, I, I don't know what he's saying because I don't understand <laughs> Hindi. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, again, I support everybody who's doing content with Roto and educating more people about Roto. Um, mm -hmm. What would also be cool is like 
uh, time, you know, like understanding how much time Roto takes. Um, I started a post called you know, on LinkedIn called uh, "Why Does Roto Need Time," right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, um, I've seen that. Um, I didn't get to complete it because I got distracted with another topic about like, you know, skill and level and the definitions of skills and what's the definition of levels. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was a, an exciting topic, uh, much more exciting than than the time topic. But I want to get back to um, Roto taking time because a lot of a lot of people think Roto's just some magic button, right? Like a, <laughs> like like Zoom, right? It's like, well, if Zoom can do this. Right. If Zoom can do this without any roto artist, then why can't you? Why does this roto take five days, right? Yeah. Or why is this roto going to take one month, right? And I think that's a a big misconception. Yeah, definitely. About roto, that um, I'm constantly trying to educate people. Like roto takes time. It's very labor intensive, and especially yeah. if you want good if you want good roto, it takes time. And I know your budget may not. Your budget may say no. We don't have time, but <laughs> Roto, no matter what, still needs time. It just doesn't magically happen like this Zoom call, right? And what you're gonna get is like edges that look like this, right? <laughs> yeah, looking forward for a discussion on that topic. Yeah, well, stay tuned to my LinkedIn and my uh, Instagram because I'm gonna be hitting that topic. Uh, I'm gonna return back to that topic again. Yeah, I will add the link of uh, LinkedIn and Instagram in the description of this video, so people can join over there. Yes, please. Sure. So awesome! It was my pleasure to talk with you here, and uh, I appreciate the time. And yep. So any anything you would like to add up? No, I, I also would like to thank you for the time, Manoj. I appreciate the work that you're doing, and. Uh, I'm. I hope I provided lots of uh, enough quality content for you. L- lots of insights, I would say. <laughs> so thank you. Have a have a fantastic rest of the day there. Great. Thanks, Manish.